I don't think it has really sunk into any of our hearts tonight the extent of the mercy of God. The story of Hosea does help. It's the story where God commands this prophet to go and to take a wife of whoredoms. We don't know much about her condition before marriage, but we know that after marriage, Gomer, Hosea's wife, was very unfaithful. She became a prostitute. She sold her body to sin. And in the course, she had three children. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gallagher, and today we continue with 1 Peter chapter 2, the message, Obtaining Mercy. What a wonderful thing to have the mercy of God. Without God's mercy, where would we be? We would end up in a lost, Christless, hopeless, doomed eternity. But today, if you are saved and born again by the Spirit, you have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, and you await that glorious appearing of your Lord and Savior. We begin now with, because your sins can be forgiven. The answer to, why become a Christian? And here is a very simple uh, reason why everyone should become a Christian, because only through the Lord Jesus, the head and founder of Christianity, can your sins be forgiven. The wonder is that sin can be removed at all. Sin is not a little tea stain or a coffee stain that can be taken out by the man in the shiny black van. Sin is an indelible blot because it is an offense to the eternal God who is unflinchingly holy and just and infallibly all-knowing, therefore always sees your sin. Sin cannot be purged by money, silver and gold, Peter tells us, cannot redeem us from sin. It took an infinite sacrifice and the payment of God's other self to wash away our sin. God had to offer up His own Son as the only one sufficient to meet all the demands of sin. Angels could not redeem. Sons of Adam were all polluted, and Jesus Himself needed to take a human body by supernatural generation. He alone was good enough to pay the price of sin. That is how Cecil Alexander, the author of the hymn, There is a green hill far away, put it, when he wrote these words, We may not know, we cannot tell what pains he had to bear, but we believe it was for us he hung and suffered there. He died that we might be forgiven and reconciled to God that we might go at last to heaven redeemed by his own blood. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. Oh, dearly, dearly has he loved, and we must love him too, and trust his all-sufficient blood, and try his works to do. No mere mortal man could take away sin, not a prophet, nor a preacher, nor an apostle. It took the eternal Son of God, united to human flesh, to offer a ransom, sufficient to satisfy the wrath of God for sin. 
Jesus alone could do that. He is the Savior you need. And that's why you need to become a Christian. Because, praise God, your sins can be forgiven, washed away, and Jesus will do it when you call upon him to be your Lord and your Savior. Let's unite in prayer. Father, we thank thee today for the good news that there is a remedy for sin, that the Son of God, in his own body on the cross, poured out his blood, shed and made in a ransom for sin, that he might be our Redeemer. And I pray today that you will call men and women to saving faith, to look unto Jesus, and to trust in the final, final, finished work of Calvary. O Lord, speak today. Bless your word to each and every heart, and to those that are burdened, to those that are cast down, to those that are under the awful load of sin. May they be brought to the cross to see the Lamb of God dying in their place, Redeemer, Savior, and that they may become a Christian, a disciple of Christ, a believer, a repentant sinner, trusting in all the finished work of the cross. All this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now today, as I mentioned, we're turning to First Peter chapter 2. Our verses are, well, I'm going to read verse 9 onward right down to verse 12. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And I trust that from this passage that the Lord will shine in and show how those who were once in darkness may come to the light, and those who once had no mercy may enjoy the marvelous, infinite mercy of a loving Savior. Stay with us as we open our Bibles today and turning to our pulpit ministry at the Free Presbyterian Church that showeth mercy. What a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful God we have. Therefore, we're to show forth His praises. That's what Peter is requiring of us. Thirdly, because of the fellowship of God's mercy. And I want to take up the statement here, the people of God. There's the fellowship. We're the people of God. Now, this is the glorious fellowship of born-again Christians. And, of course, among born-again Christians, there is this horizontal fellowship between brother and brother and sister and sister. We have this wonderful friendship. We have a like-minded faith. We have a like-minded attitude. We have common understanding of the grace and the glory of God. But there is a, a fellowship with the Father. And if, if uh, we believe and are washed in the blood of Christ, the, the blood of Christ cleanseth us, and we have fellowship one with another. And that's fellowship between God and men. 
We are called the people of God. Now, this doesn't happen by birth. It happens by grace. We're not God's people by family heritage. In fact, we're born into the Adamic race, into the race of the curse, lost, hopeless. And even you were born into a Jewish family. The Bible says not all Israel is of Israel, so if you have Jewish blood, doesn't save your soul. And then there is another very dangerous view that's in certain branches of Reformed thinking today. It's called the new perspective on Paul. You may have heard that. This new perspective of Paul tells people that you are made a Christian by being in the community of believers. And because someone comes into the ranks of the church, and maybe a child is born into it, baptized, and brought into the community of the church, that, that now uh, you are a covenant child, a covenant person, and the danger is that nothing more is required. Now, I can understand, and it has always been the view of Reformed people, that uh, when children are born into the church and born into a Christian family, that there is God's protection and God's favor. But that child needs to be personally justified at some point. In early childhood, teenage years, at some point, still needs to come by faith to be justified by faith. And in this new perspective of Paul, that is left out. And this matter of personal justification by faith is sidestepped. And then, of course, uh, that is a denial of the way to fellowship with God. And so, this is good reason for us tonight to bless the Lord, that we are in, not just in the church, in Christ. We're in Christ. We are the spiritual circumcision who have a new heart, born again, and that we are the people of God by grace and by mercy. Now, having said this fellowship, you'll notice the next verse goes on to say, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Now, we are not strangers to God. That verse 11 is not making us strangers to God. We are strangers in this world. The world does not know us. The world does not want to know us. And certainly when Peter was writing to these Christians, they were persecuted. They were displaced. They were the diaspora. They were pilgrims and strangers in the earth. But they were the people of God. They were in fellowship with God. And they chose to suffer reproach rather than to have the riches of this world. I wonder tonight, can you say that you're a Christian in fellowship with God? How is it between your soul and the Savior? How is your walk with God? And the things that you're asked to bear and suffer as a Christian... Can you say tonight, it's well worth it because I have fellowship with God.
I wouldn't want to be in the world. I wouldn't want to have the well done of the world. I'd rather have fellowship, the friendship of the Lord Jesus as my Savior. That's what's all important to me. And Peter is bringing that out right here. And of course, as we know in this book of 1 Peter, there are many trials. There are things that they suffer as Christians because of their Christianity. And maybe it's costing you right at this present time to be a Christian. You've lost friends. In your family circle, there are people who don't like your stand for the gospel. They don't like your clear convictions that you stand up and say, I'm saved. I have the Lord in my heart. I have a living fellowship with God. There are many people that will criticize you for that, and they will perhaps cast you aside and give you the cold shoulder. But you have fellowship with God. You have union with Christ. You are one of his people. And that's worth more, much more, than the friendship of the world. Maybe there's some young person here tonight and you're saying, well, I don't want to be a Christian because I'll lose my friends. Let me tell you, if there is someone who would rather see you in hell than living in fellowship with the Savior, they're not your friend. They may be a fair-weather friend. They may be like one of the friends the prodigals had when he went into the far country and spent all his money on riotous living. And then it was all spent. Friends were gone. And if you lose your soul because people say to you, Oh, don't be a Christian. Don't, don't serve the Lord. Come and serve the world. Then you lose your soul. You've got to think about these things tonight. Let me ask you, are you one of God's people? Can you say that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? That's so important. That's altogether important. That brings me now to the eternal value of God's mercy. When you put all this together, you have eternal blessings in store for the child of God. This obtaining mercy as one great dumped load of God's grace, all in one large deposit, in the full gift of eternal life, they we can say forever, we have obtained mercy. Now you can say that one minute after you're saved. You can say it an hour after you're saved. You can say it a day after you're saved. You can say it a week, a month, a year. 50 years, 100 years, and when you go out into eternity and you're in the presence of God, you will say for all eternity, I have obtained mercy. It was God's gift. Now, the word obtained is the opposite to attained. When you attain something, you work for it. You climb the ladder. You put in your effort. But when you obtain, it's God's gift. It's bestowed freely, fully, 
and you're made the people of God. And such people will never be left behind. Such cannot ever suffer in hell because you have obtained mercy. You can never go to the grave and be annihilated because you've obtained mercy. And where's the pity? Where's the mercy? If your soul is just wiped off the face of existence. We're made the people of God to populate heaven. And heaven's going to be populated with a great multitude of people. We'll be with the people of God. What will you do in heaven? You will show forth the excellencies of God. That's what Peter says here in verse 9, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into light. Now that's what we'll do in glory. That's what we'll do for all eternity. We will sing, praise, and extol the Lord for his mercy. Now when you bring that down to earthly worship, what should we be doing tonight? What should we be doing every Lord's day, every opportunity we get? It should be to extol, to exalt the praises, the excellencies of our God. Now what is your commitment to this tonight? Are we committed Christians? Are we committed to showing forth God's praises? Do you want our denomination, our seminary, our missionaries, our churches scattered across this country, United States, other places in the world? Do you want us to be showing forth the praises of God? That's what we're committed to do. Do you want me as a pastor, your pastor, to be committed to showing forth the excellencies of the gospel, the glories of Christ? Do you want the deacons of the church to do that? And the Sunday school teachers and the members coming up to our annual general meeting. We'll put out our membership list again. Every member that comes into fellowship of this church is committed to exalting the Lord and praising his great name for the gospel. What about you tonight? Are you committed? Will you fulfill what is really just this biblical command? That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A people who had not mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Are you committed to exalting the Lord, to promote the gospel and the ministry of the gospel far and wide? I want you tonight to consider church membership. I want you to consider the responsibilities of being a church member, uh, that we are working together, shoulder to shoulder, to promote the gospel, to stand for Christ. I want you to think about what you can do 
what gifts God has given you, what strengths God has given you, and how you can be a part of furthering the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And when you read these verses, if your heart is beating with appreciation and thankfulness for mercy, just like that mother's son who was granted mercy by Napoleon. Can you think of that lad as his mother drags him by the scruff of his neck out of that situation where he was near death? And she gets him home and she tries to talk some sense into him. What should he do? He should get down on his knees and thank his mother that she has pleaded for mercy and he's received it. He should live as a citizen and he should serve that he might show forth appreciation for that mercy. Now we'll never, never repay the debt we owe for the gospel that has saved us. No matter what sacrifices we make, even we lay down our lives, we'll never repay what Christ has paid for our redemption, that we may enjoy mercy. But every one of us owe everything. All we have and all we are, we owe it all. And we need to take to heart tonight what we should do, that we might exalt the Lord. In fact, our attitude ought to be, Lord, I, I grieve that I can't do more. I grieve that my efforts are so feeble. I grieve that we're so weak, so limited, and that our days are so short. And I suppose I'm very conscious of this because when you get a new grandchild born into your family, what does that tell you about you? I'm the old Ian now. There's a young Ian in the family. I'm the old guy. Time is short. A young generation must rise up to serve the Lord. And how we need to see that. And we're all links. We're all links in the chain. And we have to do our part. We need to raise children that fear the Lord and that know how to pray. We need to trust the Lord to do it. And so I ask you to take this, this very verse to heart, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. If we could only grasp the glories of that, surely we would live and serve the Lord with all our hearts. Thank you for listening tonight. May the Lord bless his word to your heart. May this word do for you what it has done for me. It has, it has rejuvenated my heart. It has given me a, a new, fresh delight in the gospel. Where would I be tonight? I would be in darkness ignorance. I would not be a, a child of God. 
I'd be a child of the devil. I would be serving the world. I would be on the broad road to a lost eternity. I owe everything I am and I have to God's mercy. Infinite mercy. Wonderful, wonderful mercy. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin, I resign. Thank you for joining with us on Let the Bible Speak Today. I'm holding here this little booklet, Profiting from the Word by Arthur W. Pink. I want to recommend this book to you. And it is so important that we use the Bible, the Word of God, aright. And the only way to do so is to be profiting, to be putting into full implementation the truths, the principles, and the power of that Word. In page 35, Mr. Pink writes, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. It is the peculiar office of the Holy Spirit by His application of the Scriptures to convict sinners of their desperate condition, to bring them to see that their state is such that from the sole of the foot even unto the head there is no soundness in them, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, as the Spirit convicts us of our sins, our ingratitude to God, our murmuring against Him, our wanderings from Him, as He presses upon us the claims of God, His right to our love, obedience, and adoration, and all our sad failures to render Him His due, then we are made to recognize that Christ is our only hope, and that except we flee to Him for refuge, the righteous wrath of God will most certainly fall upon us. Nor is this to be limited to the initial experience of conversion. The more the Spirit deepens His work of grace in the regenerated soul, the more that individual is made conscious of his pollution, his sinfulness and his vileness, and the more does he discover his need of and learn to value that precious, precious blood which cleanses from all sin. The Spirit is here to glorify Christ, and one chief way in which he does so is by opening wider and wider the eyes of those for whom he died, to see how suited Christ is for their wretched, foul, hell-deserving creatures. Yes, the more we are truly profiting from our reading of the Scriptures, the more do we feel our need of Him. Again, thank you for listening to our broadcast here today. If you'd like to hear this program again, or if you would like information about our programming schedules across Canada on various stations, and if you would like the information on how to donate and support this ministry, go to our website, ltbs.ca. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you as again we let the Bible speak. This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 187 Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. On our website you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons, and our gospel booklet called A New Beginning. There you can find a link to our Sunday services that are broadcast online. For all this information, please go to our website at Cloverdale, 
fpc.ca. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30am and 6pm to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of his precious word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer at 7.30pm every Wednesday evening. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day from September to June at 9.30am. You can contact us using our office number which is 604-576-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will lead you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. And this is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. on this station for our full or church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of his word.